This is the Detection at Scale podcast, a new show designed to help security practitioners succeed at managing and responding to threats at a modern cloud scale. As the volume of data increases and the attack surface expands, it's never been more important to stay ahead of the curve. Each episode will feature interviews with leading security practitioners, thought leaders, and company founders who are building the next generation of security tools. I'm your host, Jack Naglieri, founder and CEO of Panther Labs. Now let's get into today's show. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Detection at Scale podcast. Today I'm here with Kathy Wang, who is the CISO at Discord. Kathy, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much, Jack. I'm happy to be here today and to talk about security, as always. I'm CISO at Discord. I joined fairly recently. Prior to Discord, I was CISO at Very Good Security and also at GitLab. I've been in security for over 20 years, and I spent probably half of my career working as a defense contractor on security for different government agencies. So I've been in a lot of different environments. And you started out doing security work as like a practitioner and a researcher. So the thing I was curious about is like, what made you want to make the jump to becoming a security leader? Yeah, so I love doing security research. My specialty was in identifying gaps in technology and figuring out how to bridge them, which it sounds really easy, but it's not that easy. And it requires a lot of insights at times. And after a while of doing security research, focusing around malware detection and response, I learned that I really love to mentor people and get people to also progress in their careers. And one of the best ways to do that is to be a security leader, build out a really great team of people, and then help them move forward in their careers as well. So that's what got me to make that jump. And I've never looked back since then. And on that topic of building teams, like, are you seeing a challenge with hiring security people right now? Or are you feeling like there's a pretty good abundance of talent to help staff these teams that you're leading? It's always been really challenging to hire great security people. And we kind of joke about it in industry as saying that security has a negative unemployment rate, right? There's always way more demand for security talent than there are people to do that. So that's always there. What I've seen over time is the evolution of remote working, right? I joined GitLab back in 2017 before most of the world was working remote. And there, it was super interesting because now we can hire from 65 plus countries as GitLab has. And that really opened my eyes to building and leading remote teams, which has a different nuance to it than in-person. But I think that has made talent a lot more accessible But then at the same time, when the pandemic hit and everybody started working remotely, now there's a lot more choices for people who also want to work remotely full time. So then you start seeing this kind of closing of opportunities for remote only hiring and more competition. So it's always fun to see how this is going to change or evolve. But this is what I've seen in the last five years. What do you typically look for when you're hiring security people? Security is highly operational, right? 
incidents can happen anytime. It can be on a weekend. It can be on a holiday, especially holidays and weekends, because we already have a lot of data to show that attackers are opportunistic and they're just looking for the right time to target. So because of the operational nature of security, I always look for people who have a strong bias to action. I think that's a really, really important attribute for a security person. And the other thing is the ability to over-communicate. Because security is one of those areas where it's not a good idea to not be transparent, right? To kind of work in a silo and, and do your thing and not collaborate. That never really works well. And so people who tend to over-communicate or tend to do it very well and enthusiastically, as well as have a strong bias to action, tend to do the best. Is that for detection and response roles, or are you just speaking generally? That's very true for detection and response roles. I will say that. But it's also very true for any other security role, right? Because almost every security role, like if you're in application security or in governance risk and compliance, you're going to have to communicate to other departments very clearly about guardrails or where people need to potentially watch out for pitfalls. And to be able to do that in a remote world where most people are not in an office it means that you may have to say it four or five times when you're making an announcement, but not in the same spot, right? Multimodal communications. So you might want to say it in two different Slack channels or email plus a document or all hands meeting. And then if you do that, you reach about 80%, not 100%, but 80% of the population that you're you're aiming to reach. And on this topic of attackers being opportunistic, how have you seen attacks just generally change in the last five years? Yes. So attackers are, as I said, opportunistic, not only in timing or targeting, but also in financial opportunities or other motivations, right? So what you see is that, you know, when, for example, Bitcoin prices are really good, there's going to be a lot more activity around compromising information that can lead to obtaining Bitcoins, right? So cybercrime, things like that uh, will become more popular when there's opportunities for nation state actors, right, to grab more intellectual property or exploit an organization for other data that they're looking for due to world situations like wars and things like that, then you'll see another change in activity. So I think as security practitioners that are working in detection and response, we always want to pay attention to the climate of the world and, and how the news is changing throughout the world. So it's a very integrated role in that way. You really cannot just work in a silo and expect to be successful. Yeah, the political climate is definitely very important to pay attention to. And a lot of threat intelligence feeds and a lot of the publications the government puts out as well on new attacks are very, very useful for, for staying up to date there. And then as defenders, we can add new indicators of compromise, we can add new TTPs to our SIMs, things like that. But it's kind of related to another question I have in my head, which is as we sort of made this evolution into cloud and 
we were working at this like really high scale now. I'm sure you have a lot of experience at scale just being at uh, GitLab, now Discord. Obviously, Discord is massive. How have you seen the skill sets and the activities of the security teams that you manage change as a result of the changing environments and the changing attacker climates? Yeah, so it used to be that security teams were very clearly delineated as, you know, if you're doing incident response, you're much more of a traditional security operations person, maybe like an analyst type where you're using a lot of tooling, looking at dashboards, responding to tickets. What I'm seeing changing, probably because of remote nature of working, plus the world events, plus the changes in the market conditions, and plus new tooling, right, that's coming out and also more companies going cloud-native, is that a lot of these roles are becoming more and more development-focused, where now we're looking for more security engineers rather than analysts. And I do see this kind of thing increasing as well. So it's not that security analysts are not being hired in large numbers now. They still are. But I'm seeing a shift in requests for talent in this area due to the modernization of a lot of infrastructures. So with that modernization, like where does the demand really come from exactly? The demand is coming primarily from two things, right? One is cost savings. Companies are realizing that if they use public cloud infrastructure, it's potentially a bigger cost savings when you look at all the resourcing needed to maintain a data center. That could be one area. And then another area is scaling and not having to maintain your own infrastructure. So having another provider build tools and capabilities that you can then utilize to do what your day-to-day work is or what your bread and butter is rather than focusing on doing infrastructure work only, right? So those are all factors that play into more and more companies going cloud-native. And on that point of modernization and more shifting into engineering, how much of your team is comfortable writing code or writing even like fairly trivial like scripts? I would say almost all. So I haven't hired GRC teams, for example, yet that write code on a regular basis. However, when it comes to, you know, security operations, detection, and AppSec, those types of roles, increasingly, almost everybody can write basic scripts at least. Yeah, I think it's necessary, to be honest. Even if you're doing traditional IR, it's necessary. Just because you have a bunch of files locally. I have like PTSD from writing like bash scripts to analyze data. And now, you know, we can do it with like much more stable platforms and tools. So it's been uh, quite an evolution in the last 10 years from from that world to, to where we are now. And the movement to the cloud definitely helped that quite a lot. I'm curious, like what other trends or tools you're paying attention to as a security leader that help your teams do their job a little bit better? Yeah. So, you know, I've always been a technologist at heart. So I, I'm always looking at new tools, new innovations, new capabilities, uh, ways of doing things that are slightly different that will be more efficient than how we did things before. A few areas really stood out to me in the last three years or so. 
One is how can we do better detection and better automated response to detected events that we need to mitigate, right? So instead of hiring so many people to do manual work, what if we only wrote alerts that were actionable and thus reduce like the signal to noise, right? So we don't want a lot of noise because a lot of people just kind of ignore that. We want every single alert that pops up with detection to be actionable. Otherwise, we should be tuning or improving so that we're not getting it as noise. The other side of it is once we found something that's actionable, what is the degree that we can automate the remediation for it? Right, because that will really help you scale the team and not have to hire like, you know, 10x number of people to manually go into a, a product or an application to shut it down or restrict access. So that's one area. Another area is we have some massive software supply chain issues that we're still trying to deal with in this industry. A lot of the tooling around that is not very mature. At this point. So I think there's hope on the horizon and there's definitely light that I'm seeing at the end of a tunnel there. But right now, a lot of the tools are are nascent. So we have to do a lot of gap coverage and, and figure out what is this not taking care of that we also need to take care of. But that visibility is so, so important because if you can't see what's running your infrastructure, you can't protect the infrastructure. Right. So those are a couple of areas. I like that line a lot. If you can't see it, you can't protect it. It's something I just yes. used in a in a post I made too. It's totally it's totally true. It's our job is to see everything. I'm curious, like, what do you enjoy about working in security? Why do you continue to do it? Security is one of those jobs where I think it takes a special kind of personality to work in security because it can often feel like a thankless job, where if nothing is wrong, you don't hear from anybody, right? But if something happens, an incident, you know, now we have a fire, all of a sudden, everybody's knocking on the door saying, hey, what's going on? You know, are you handling this? So at times, it can be pretty stressful because it's so operational. So what we try to do to reduce all of that stress, because people don't necessarily operate at their best under the most stress is scale and automate. I think that's super, super important because humans make errors, right, when things are manual. So the more we can scale and automate, the better and the faster we can respond to fires and stressful situations like incidents. And there's been plenty of reports that show the longer it takes to resolve an incident, the higher the likelihood of revenue loss. Right. So this is very, very central to security. And if you're not thinking in this way as a security leader, I think you're probably not also going to set the right metrics and the KPIs that you need to to incrementally raise the bar on security every quarter. Yeah, that's very true, especially with the change where people are using more software for defense. It's the same on offense and it's probably mid more so on offense for a long time than defense. And now we're catching up on defense. So makes a lot of sense. The longer an incident goes on, the more 
data can be exfilled, the more persistence can exist in your environment, things like that. So I fully hear you on that one. Awesome. So to wrap things up for today, I would love for you to leave us with some wisdom. So what advice can you give anybody listening in who might be leading these like modern security teams into the future? Like, What are three pieces of advice you can give them? Yeah. So the first one that's super important for a security leader is to make sure you find out very early on in your tenure who the potential allies could be at the company. These could be people that are in other departments that strongly support security capabilities. You can find them, you know, in legal, in engineering, in product, in marketing, in sales, like anywhere. I think it's important to meet with all of these other leaders and ask the question. Here's the one that I always ask. What does security mean to you? Because I think that question and how they answer it will tell you a lot about their past experience working with security teams, if any, right? Some of them haven't before, and that's okay. But it will tell you, here's the starting point or the baseline at which I can start working with this person to communicate security priorities and build that ally relationship. So that's the first advice. The second advice is to only build actionable alerts. I know I've said this already earlier, but it's so important. The last thing you want to do is have alerts going off for every event because everyone would just get tired of paying attention to that and looking at that. And then you have a situation where people just stop paying attention. And there's nothing worse than that because then you might as well not have the alerting capability, right? So make sure very early on that you communicate across detection and response teams that alerts 100% need to be actionable. The third advice is, you know, teams are not easy to build. And there's not a lot of people that you can always hire when you need them, right? So you may have to deal with having leaner teams than you planned, or, you know, maybe there's a market downturn and every company is now having hiring slowdowns or or layoffs and that sort of thing. We've seen that in the news. So you're dealing with leaner teams. So you really have to get creative and automate to scale. What does that mean? That means making sure that the tooling that you're looking at to bring in has really great integration capabilities or customization capabilities with other existing tools in your stack. That could be tooling that, you know, will help you handle in a modern like cloud native environment, like microservices, Kubernetes containers. All of that, that's super important. A lot of security tools, sadly, have not really kept up with that type of DevOps environment requirement. And you'll find tools out there that don't support visibility or discovering of these types of assets. So you need to understand that. And then you need to figure out how to get your team or how to hire the right people to automate a lot of these processes. Because the one thing that I always say is you can build policies all day and say, okay, this is the new security policy. We want people to follow this policy, but that's good intentions. And a lot of people will say, okay, yeah, I'll I'll do it. Not and everything. But if you don't have any sort of automated enforcement for those policies, because 
you know, maybe the policy isn't enforceable in an automatic programmable way, then you've got a problem, right? Now this policy is just a piece of paper and it doesn't really matter to anybody. So don't build policies that you cannot programmatically enforce. That doesn't work. Fully agree with all those. That was super inspiring. Thanks, Kathy. It was awesome having you on the show today and, and hearing your perspective. Thank you, Jack. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Detection at Scale podcast brought to you by Panther Labs. For access to the latest episodes, please visit our website at www.runpanther.io forward slash podcast. And for those interested in running Panther, head to our website, runpanther.io, to sign up for a free trial. You'll get a dedicated instance with the ability to analyze your security logs in real time at any scale powered by detections as code and sending into a very robust security data lake. Our goal is to make detection and response easy, scalable, and fast for you, the practitioner. Thanks. See you again next time.